Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the eighth part of our series in the book of Galatians. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus. Praise in this place. How many guys uh, were at Easter last week? So good, man. I... uh, Easter was amazing. It was a good time. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. I kind of missed the book of Galatians. Uh, I missed getting into it because I felt like we got a good flow. Seven weeks. Come on, somebody. Seven weeks. This is week eight today. And uh, I just believe that God is not quite done. So I'm so pumped to get back into it. So Galatians chapter four. We finished last time on verse seven. So now we're on verse eight. You guys ready? Formally. Paul says, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I fear that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. So um, I have a title this morning, but I just felt like during worship, the Lord gave me a secondary title. So I'm going to share you the title I had and the title the Lord has for us this morning. So uh, the title on the screen is, It's Time to Give Up. It's time to give up. But in brackets, for all you note takers, you can write, losing my religion. Losing my religion. Come on, let's clap our hands for Jesus. You can take a seat this morning. So good, so pumped that you could be here today. Um, I have some kind of announcement stuff. So Chase, I'm going to MC at the end, okay? You're good. So, because I want to get right into the word this morning, so I'm going to share some stuff after. So, uh, just a round of applause, man. How many guys have been enjoying this series so far? Galatians. This is part eight, and like, it's, it's getting so long, it's kind of past the point. Like, have you been here for any parts? Like, you've probably been here because we've been in Galatians for uh, over two months now. So, um, I know with Easter, kind of the break that we took, maybe uh, our brains have kind of forgot, like, where we were at. So, I kind of want to give a quick recap of the series at whole, and then where we left off last week, and then I'm going to get right into it this week. Sound good? Yeah. So, um, our series, going to the book of Galatians, it has been called All or Nothing. And the reason it's called all or nothing, pretty simple. Paul has a thesis in Galatians. It's either all Jesus or you actually have nothing. So we've had uh, kind of uh, a super simple thing that we've said. It comes to the book of Ephesians and the reformers have kind of taken it as well. But it's super simple. It's this. We are saved by grace. You guys remember this? Saved by grace. What is grace? It is unmerited favor. It is getting something that you do not deserve. Salvation is undeserved. Yet we get it. We are saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. So what that means is all I have to do, that amazing thing called grace, all I have to do in faith is believe that it is true. And so I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ. 
Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You guys remember this? And so the, the, the kind of conflict in the book of Galatians is that there's these people in the church. The church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews are trying to get the Gentiles to live like Jews. Gentile just means non-Jew. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, it's only Jesus. You do not need to become a Jew. You do not need to follow the law. Just believe in Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. You guys remember this? A few people, if not, welcome to the series. And uh, it's a beautiful message, right? Just believe. But what we have seen for seven weeks is that although the message is beautiful, although the message is succinct, it's hard to believe. And a lot of times it's even harder to put into practice. Like, are you saying, Harrison, all I have to do is believe? Like, what is my part? What do I have to do? And so I know, like, it's been seven weeks, and, and maybe for some people it's like, Harrison, how much can you speak about grace? Answer, never enough. But, like, I, I know that the idea and the concept of grace is hard for us to get through our heads. Because for a lot of us, we grew up with the message... And whether this was inside a church or outside a church, the picture we have of God is not necessarily a God of grace. It's, for a lot of people, a God of works. I was actually, uh, I stumbled upon a video. Um, do you guys know who Aaron Rodgers is? He's a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Um, if you don't know sports, he's also dated a bunch of celebrities, so that might bring you in further connection. If you watch The Bachelor, his brother is on The Bachelor. I just want to make sure you guys know who Aaron Rodgers is. But um, kind of a famous dude. And he had an interview, and it was really interesting. He was talking about it, which I didn't know. He said, I grew up in church. Um, he said, kind of where I come from, everyone goes to church. Um, he said, I used to do Young Life, too. And he said, basically, um, as he got older, he basically got to a point where he's like, yeah, like, the whole religion thing wasn't for me. And he said something so interesting. He said, I didn't like this idea that, like, if you did more, uh, you were in better standing with God. And so, like, the good people, like, God looks on them better, the, the not-so-good people. And he's like, I didn't like the whole levels kind of thing. And as I was watching it, I wanted to scream, Aaron, listen, read the book of Galatians. Check out our series, seven parts. Because what he was saying was not true to the biblical picture of who God is. Yet, one thing we need to understand is that truth is truth as long as you believe it's truth. And what that means is, is his truth, although it is not actually truth, becomes his truth. And he thinks that is what God is like. And I'm saying that because I know there are many people in this room, in this space, who have been with us in this series. I am going through the book. I am exegeting the Bible. Yet something inside of you cannot get past this truth that grace is as good as it sounds. There has to be something that I do. And so I've been taking seven weeks to try and destroy those thoughts and get us to put our faith in Jesus. But I know that for some of us, like seven weeks isn't enough to deconstruct 17 years um, or maybe for some of us 30 years, 40 years of this thinking and really this works mindset. And the truth is, uh, unless we are begin to live in the grace of Jesus, we will never see Jesus for who he is. And so um, that's kind of been the series as a whole. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, I preached a message called, Are You a Slave or Are You a Son? Do you guys remember that message? A few people. And uh, basically, I kind of had this idea that we will view God one of two ways. You're going to view God as master. And if God is your master and you are this slave that has to follow him, you'll begin to follow him out of obligation. Obligation never will lead you to the place you need to go. And so what I said is that uh, you're either a son or a slave. And so if you're not a slave, hopefully you're a son. And the way to be a son or a daughter is to view God as your father. You guys remember this? And the message, I'm just kind of running through it like fast, but the truth is for a lot of us, it's like, well, how do I begin to see God as my father? 
uh, instead of like God is my taskmaster. And what we said is the answer is grace. The only way you can understand God as father is to see God as a God of grace. And the only reason a God would be a God of grace, meaning he would bestow on you something you don't deserve, is because as father he views you as children. Because fathers have this thing inside of them where they want to give things to their kids. It's innate. But if we cannot get rid of that picture um, of God as taskmaster, a God that is constantly judging me, constantly sizing me up, what do I have to do? I'll always view God as master. And so um, that was kind of two weeks ago. And um, I was telling some guys this week, like this series, um, for me at least, being able to go through Galatians for two months, like I just feel like I have a fresh wind of the grace of Jesus. Because as I'm going through this book, as I'm just reflecting on my own life, all I can see is grace. The fact that God has, has done something in my life and in our lives. Um, I was, Christy, my wife, she wasn't, um, she wasn't here. Well, she was in kids. She's always in kids. Shout out to my wife. Um, but like two weeks ago during like, are you a son or you're a slave? She's like, uh, Harrison, how was the message? And I was like, I think it was good because like, I've never seen so many people cry uh, in my life. Like, you guys remember that? A few people? Like, I'm, not, I'm trying not to cry. Like, Chase is breaking down in the front row. I'm like, I, like it's, it's kind of over. And I think that, like, what a lot of us felt in that moment was, like, this overwhelming sense of grace. Because grace, as we said, leads to a response. And so um, you'd think that, like, after a message like that where it's, like, so emotional, like, yeah, God's my father, all these things, like, we could just rest. Right? Like, we're good. We're done. But the whole issue with Galatians is that every time Paul kind of talks about grace then he sort of hits back on the things that pull us away. And so last week, or two weeks ago, was all about this grace being so good. This week now, he's talking about the pull. Because you need to understand, there's always something that's going to pull us away from being able to rest in the grace of God. Whether it's people, life, religion, something is always pulling us. So, a little bit of an introduction. You guys ready to go? We're all on the same page. God is good. Here's the pull. He says, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So this is such a rich passage. Um, it's so rich, if you guys remember, some of you astute people, I actually preached on this like four months ago, um, but I'm going to take it in a whole new direction. That's how rich scripture is. You can be in verses for life. Um, but it's an interesting verse because when you really get into it, it appears as if there's kind of an oxymoron going on. Did any of you guys catch it? Let me show you. Because basically what he says, you need to understand the context. For the Gentiles, these non-Jews, for most of them, before they became Christians, generally speaking, they were worshiping other gods. Now, in the first and second century, there was really no such thing as atheism. No one was an atheist. Like, I don't believe in God. Everyone believed in something. And so generally for the people that were the Gentiles, they believed in other gods. And so Paul says, before Jesus, he says, you were slaves to these other gods. But then he says, who by nature are not actually gods. He says, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to weak and miserable forces? So here's the oxymoron. He says these gods are fake, they're not real, yet when you turn back to them, they have weak and miserable force. But then he says, do you wish to be enslaved all over again? So here's the oxymoron. 
How can something that has no power, how can something that is fake, how can something that is powerless have power over me? Kind of doesn't really make sense, right, when you really break it down. How can something that is powerless have power over me? Here's the point I want us to understand, because I have this kind of thesis today that most of the things that enslave us, most of the things that draw us away from grace are actually powerless in nature. But here's where their power comes from. You can write this down. The we, ourselves, you and I, we give power to the things that are powerless. The power of the powerless comes from us because we give them power. Now, I'm going to get into very practical, but let me explain this in a very kind of funny way. Um, There's a guy, um, he doesn't go to our church, and he's not my brother-in-law, but um, he was afraid uh, of mirrors. Now, like, I don't know the whole origin story. I think he watched a scary movie. Um, He was friends with a witch at one point, something like that. Um, But long story short, he began to develop this fear of mirrors. And so one day he told us, he said, literally, like, when I sleep... um, in my room and stuff, like every single mirror in my room, I cover up. I put a blanket over it because, like, I don't know if he didn't want to see the demons or didn't want the demons watching him, whatever it was. Every single mirror in his you just cover it because he was afraid. Now, um, if you guys don't know this, a mirror is an inanimate object. In other words, a mirror has no power, a mirror is not real. However, what does have power is our perception, right? And so, what he was doing was he was giving power to a powerless object. You guys understand what I'm saying? And that's kind of a funny example, but what I, want to un- what I want us to understand today is that every single one of us in this room, we give power to powerless things. Now, let me just talk about the context that Paul is talking about for the Galatians when it comes to the gods they used to serve. Now, um, if you do not know this, um, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a pantheon of gods that you'll read about, right? There's the God of the Bible, then there's like the gods that everyone else would kind of fall towards. Now, when you read the Bible, it's kind of weird because you read the stories of the God um, of the Bible, which, let me teach you guys something, if you guys didn't know this. How many of you guys know God has a name? Anyone know that? So Old Testament, if you guys ever see when it says Lord in all capital letters, um, that's actually Yahweh. That's what it is. So God's name is Yahweh. The more you know, that's very simplified, there's more to it, but just so you know. So the God of Israel, his name is Yahweh. You guys, anyone learn something today? There you go. So um, in, in the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, he's doing all these amazing things. He's parting the seas. He's literally feeding the people of Israel, all these cool things. Yet when you read the Bible, the nation of Israel constantly goes and worships other gods who Paul says are false and fake. Now, it seems kind of weird if there's a God who's actually doing something, why would you go and worship a false and fake God? It doesn't really make sense. But the reason is this, and this is the reason I believe that so many of us give power to powerless things. Now, I cannot hit every single thing in our life that we do it for or with, but I can, I think, begin to kind of get deeper beneath the surface for why we give power to powerless things. You want to know why I believe the Israelites went to false gods and why we chase after false things? It's pretty simple. It comes down to control. At the very end of the day, you and I strive, you and I crave control. So one of the things about ancient gods you need to understand, if you really get into it, the ancient gods of the ancient Near East, whether it was the Babylonian gods, uh, the Egyptian gods, or the Greek gods, they're all kind of similar in nature, the pantheon of gods. And one of the things you'll understand as you learn more about them is that these false gods were really more like humans than they were gods. 
In other words, they had tempers, um, they mingled in human affairs, sometimes literally had affairs with humans, uh, so on and so forth. And so um, by definition, they're not really gods because they're kind of like you and I. A god, by definition, should not actually be like you and I. Does that make sense? But there's a reason that the people will be attracted to these false gods. And I believe the reason they were attracted to these false gods is because those false gods, as I said, were more like them than they were gods. And so one of the things and one of the ways in which you worship these gods was that every single god was responsible for something. You had the god of the weather. You had the god of fertility. You had the god of X, Y, Z. And so for the people, um, although they are gods, there's this level of control where if I know, hey, like, I can't get pregnant, but, like, if I just go talk to the fertility god and, like, go just make a sacrifice, like, maybe what I'm experiencing right now, like, I can take control of the situation. In the same way, if you're a farmer, it's like, man, it hasn't rained in a while. I'm just going to go to Baal and ask for a little rain. And so, although you're acting as if they are gods, really, the pull is in the fact that you yourself have control. Does that make sense? That is what I believe the pull of these false gods in. All of it comes down to control. Now, for some of us, you're saying, wait a second, like, um, rain and, like, asking God. Like, most of my prayers are asking God for things. Like, what, what's going on? Now, you need to understand that the Bible does say that we can take anything to God, our prayers and our petitions. Um, but for a lot of us, and this is, we're going to be honest, when it comes to how we communicate with God, I might say for many of us, we communicate with the God of the universe closer um, to like how people actually communicated with Zeus, meaning all we're doing is asking for things, hoping that we can control God, which really makes us God. And so what happens with these false gods is we give power to the powerless. And the, the downfall in this, especially um, when it comes to really our God um, or these false gods, is that when things don't go our way, one of two things happens. Number one, we just double down further. And we begin to believe, well, like if God's not answering my prayers, then there's, there's something I'm not doing. Like I have to be a little more faithful. Maybe I have to fast some more. I should apologize to all my friends. Like there's got to be something I can do because God isn't answering my prayers. That's one way. The second way people go many times is like, well, if God isn't answering my prayers, what good is God? I don't believe and or follow God. And they just leave. So what happens, and I want us to understand this. Here's my kind of point. Um, it's super simple. When I strive for control, I'll always end up a slave. When I strive for control, I'll always end up a slave. The very thing that we seek, the very thing that we want more than anything is control. What we don't realize is that the end result is always slavery. Now, I use the example of, you know, the, the, the gods and, and the false gods and all these things. But for a lot of us, we strive for control by making things that are not God into the place of God. One of the areas we do this, and a lot of us do this, is money. You guys know what I'm saying? It's money. It's just super simple. Like, hey, if I just have a little bit more, then I'll be a little bit more secure. If I just have a little bit more, if I have a little bigger of a house, if I have a better car, then I'll be happy. And so we strive and we strive, hoping to gain control. But many times what happens, especially for the people that serve money as their God, the very God that they're chasing after, hoping to give them freedom, actually binds them to slavery. Why? Because when money is your God, you'll never have enough. There's actually studies that have been done um, that says after a family's net income, and this is old, so you can kind of maybe um, increase it a little bit, but it said after about $70,000, the net income of a family, um, it says your quality uh, of life does not actually change. 
whether I have 70,000 or 140,000 or 200,000, a million, your quality of life doesn't actually change. Now, uh, for some people, it's like, well, hold on, Harrison. Like, if I had, like, a couple extra hundred, like, my quality of life would definitely improve. (laughs) Now, what I want us to understand is that, like, the quantity of what you have doesn't necessarily correlate to the quality of your life. Right? And so for a lot of people that chase after these things, uh, a lot of times they sacrifice that which they actually need in order to get the thing they think they want. So they'll sacrifice relationships in the name of money. But relationships and healthy relationships will bring us much more freedom than money does. And so what happens for a lot of us, the very thing that we think will bring us freedom actually ends up enslaving us. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, you are going back to weak and miserable forces. You were already a slave. Why do you want to be enslaved again? For a lot of us, the way this shows up is simply control in our plans. How many guys in this room are planners? Right? Maybe like you're like a long-term planner or a short-term planner. But for a lot of people, we have plans. And the reason we plan, and planning is not inherently wrong, But the reason we plan is because we're seeking some level of control. If I just know what is next, if I just know what is happening in my future, then I'll be secure, then I'll feel good. But what happens and how that control leads to slavery is when the plans that we've written in ink, God has written them in sand. And so what that means is that when life doesn't look like how I thought it would look like, suddenly my life is going upside down. And there's people who are like, you know what, I never thought I'd be single at this age. It's like, I thought I had kids by now. I never thought I'd be divorced. I never thought I'd be widowed. I never thought I'd have this job. And what happens is that that plan that you once had actually becomes a prison. And it becomes a prison because it's not the life that you had controlled on the life that you had planned out. And so you end up becoming a slave to your plan. And what God wants to do, and I think why like that was so good that we sang the song Make Room, is because for some of us, we need to make room in order to say, hey, God, I know I have my plans, but what are your plans? Because my plans, although I think they'll bring freedom, oftentimes they bring slavery. And so we're talking all about grace and kind of back to this big question, well, like, can I actually, like, love Jesus, like, if I'm a control freak? Like, how do I, like, Harrison, I need control. Like, I just, I need it. Like, I need a plan. I need to know where everything is going. Like, what, what can I do? And at the very end of the day, pretty simple. If you are a control freak, grace will be harder for you to understand. It's as simple as that. Because control kind of comes down to one central thought that is like, if I do, I will get what I deserve. That's what control is. I'll get what I deserve. I'm going to control the situation. The reason that grace is so hard is because grace is the opposite. Grace says you get what you don't deserve. And so in order to understand that, we have to give up control. But I just have this belief that we can either give up control voluntarily or otherwise we'll just lose it. And one of the ways we lose it is when our plans don't go according to plan. And suddenly we're a slave to the way we thought things were going to go. And so um, I kind of want us to understand an oxymoron, right? You guys understand the things we get enslaved to? Does that make sense? So what happens, what Paul is saying in regards to the false gods that the Gentiles used to serve. He says, you were slaves to those things, those things that had no power, that could do nothing. But what he says, and what we're going to see, um, the Gentiles aren't going back to their false gods. This is what's important. They're not going back. What they're doing is they're giving up one form of slavery for another, mainly in the form of religion. 
So let's look at it again. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to these weak and miserable forces? It's not the same force, but it has the same power, the power to enslave. He says, do you wish, again, to be enslaved all over again? He says, you are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts. So, pretty simple. What they're doing is not going back to worshiping the false gods. The issue, which we know in the large context of Galatians, is that these Gentiles are now thinking to themselves, I have to follow the Jewish law. And so Paul is saying, listen, you just left slavery. You just left all of those things. Why do you want to go back to a different form of slavery, i.e. religion? So we've seen in the book that there's been a couple issues. One of the issues was circumcision, right? Hey, you got to be circumcised. Uh, Talks about dietary laws. Those were things for Jews. The other big thing was holy days. And so Paul right here hits every single holy day the Jews have. He says, you observe special days. This is in reference to the weekly Sabbath. Then he says, moons. This is the monthly festival known as new moons. Then he says, seasons, which they had many festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacle. And then he says, years, which would be sabbatical and jubilee years. So he hits all four of any of the festivals that the Jews would have celebrated. He says, listen, you were enslaved before. Why do you want to go back to slavery? You don't need to follow these holy days. Now, you need to understand the Gentiles would have been very familiar with rituals because gods had rituals right and so for them the idea of grace would have blown their mind but then the jews are like hey grace is cool but like forget grace like why don't you just follow these holy days like if you want god to really accept you like y'all just like keep the sabbath like just make sure you celebrate passover make sure you celebrate pentecost and for the gentiles they're like well like i guess that kind of makes sense because like yeah like if i do that then god will really like think a lot of me because I'm being so pious and holy. And Paul, literally, you can see it in his language. He's like, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Why is he saying that? He's saying painstakingly, I have tried to show you, you do not need to follow all of these Jewish regulations. All you need to do is live in grace. Because the essence of what he's saying is simply this. He's saying religion is just another form of slavery. Religion is just another form of slavery. I have a friend, um, and he's kind of like, you guys have people in your life like just super dedicated, like exercise, like goals, 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 goals. And he's one of those guys, and just like every goal checklist crushes it. And he started reading the Bible, and like I felt like God was starting to work on his life. And we met up, and he's like, Harrison, like I think I understand the Bible. He was like, um, basically, you just like, you kind of just follow these laws And, like, if you do that, you live a really good life. And, like, God just, like, kind of thinks of you better. Like, that's that's basically it, right? And I was like, what book are you in? He's like, Exodus. I'm like, like, keep reading. But he has this idea that, like, literally, like, well, if I just follow all of these things, I'm going to live a good life, and God will think more highly of me. What we don't understand is that always leads to slavery. And more so than that, it leads to a religious spirit. And I'll tell you what a religious spirit is. If how you classify your walk with God is based on what you do, that's fine for a while. Because I can act really holy for a while. And I can act really good for a while. 
but every single one of us will come to a point in our life where we realize that what I believe to be true, specifically that God accepts me based on my behavior, does not actually meet up with the reality of how I live. And so I'm forced to look at my life and think, wow, I know that God only accepts me based on my behavior, but I'm not actually that good. And so what happens for most people, because that doesn't really feel that good, it doesn't feel good to look at the darkness in myself. And so where a religious spirit forms is the easiest thing to do is to find someone that you perceive you're better than. Because then I can look at them and be like, yeah, there's some darkness in me, but look at that sinner. <laughs> Hoo-hoo! <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, I got some issues, but like, bro, like, I don't eat certain foods, so like, yeah. look at them. Look at that sinner. And that's what Paul's saying. Because he understands this religious spirit. And this religious spirit was alive in the church where the Jewish people believed that they were better than the Gentiles because of all of these exterior things that he, they did. And Paul is saying to the Gentiles, he's saying, listen, don't go there. Because all you're going to do is trade one form of slavery for another. Because when you are a slave to other people, when you are a slave to that, that, that voice in your head that says you're not good enough, so therefore condemn, 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 you're not free. Yeah. You're just trading one thing for another. I, I knew someone one time, and he wanted to give up coffee. He's like, you know what? I want to live healthier. I'm going to stop drinking coffee. So you know what he did? Every single morning, he warmed up water, and he dumped half of a creamer inside of it. <laughs> like, you know, like, like the hazelnut creamers? And he's like, I want, I want to be healthy, so I'm giving up caffeine. I'm like, what do you do? I just drink creamers now. <laughs> this is a true story. What you doing? Because in his mind, he's like, I'm not having caffeine. You're just giving up one form of slavery for another. You think the caffeine headaches bad? Wait till the sugar headache hits you. But that's what so many of us do. And you see this a lot of times, especially for people that get saved that came out of a crazy lifestyle. Maybe they were into drugs. Maybe they were into just partying, whatever it is. And so when God saves them, they go from one extreme to the other. And instead of resting in grace, they begin to believe, well, God, like he saved me from that. So like, this is what I have to do to gain his approval. I've got to just live better, live more holy. And you come into church and you start looking at other people and, and no one is good enough. And no one is holy enough. And you have this pit, like, how come the church is so bad? When in reality, I need to understand that I'm bad and it's just grace. It's just grace. You see, the problem with religion is no matter how good I am, I'm not. You can write that down. No matter how good I think I am, I'm not. And so this religious spirit says, condemn, 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 condemn. And you actually become a slave. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. In our culture, you are seen played out, not in a spiritual sense, but you are seeing what a religious spirit looks like. Because in Canada, there's just really this idea um, that there is no God, you kind of do what you do, yet there's this kind of unspoken level of morality that everyone has to achieve. And so what we see right now, we're in the midst of what is called cancel culture. And cancel culture, really what it is, it is a response to our religious spirit. Because instead of looking at the darkness that is within me, the easiest thing to do is to go and condemn other people. That's easy. And, and you guys see it all the time, and I think it's hilarious. You guys know when like something happens, um, like you know McDonald's or Zara or whoever will put a statement out? And it's like, we wholeheartedly condemn violence. You guys seen that, right? Whatever it is. Um, and the hilarious thing is, and I love it because it just kind of points out the irony, is like when you click the comments, uh, you'll see someone say like, hey, what do you say in McDonald's? Like, I remember in 2018, like when you did, you guys know what I'm saying? 
and they're, all, they're, come, they're suddenly caught in their own web of deceit and lies because they themselves, although they're condemning other people, they have not been perfect themselves. And so what happens with this, with this idea of cancel culture, and I've said it before, is that if you seek to cancel other people, one day you will be canceled. If all you do is condemn and all you do is say, I stand wholeheartedly against X, Y, Z, that's fine. But the more we look down on other people and the more we try to hide and pretend we don't have darkness, we are setting ourselves up to one day be canceled. And so I think Jesus offers a better way. He says, be merciful in Luke chapter 6, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. You see, religion is the opposite, and that's why religion is a dead end. Because religion says you get what you deserve. The gospel says when you get grace, you give grace. Religion says because you're condemned, you better condemn. Seek to cancel, you'll be canceled. And so what Paul is trying to say to the Gentiles as he's trying to keep them away from this idea of religiosity, he's trying to, to live in this new way, in this way of Christ. He's saying, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. Now, this is a funny line, because Paul himself is a Jew, and he's speaking to the Gentiles. And so literally what he's saying, he's saying, become like me, for I became like you, meaning become like a Gentile. He, a Jewish person, is saying to Gentile people, become a Gentile, even though he's not. You guys see the humor in that? Because he's literally like, hey, listen, like I've been on the other side of this. It doesn't lead to where you think it's going to lead. We looked at it a few weeks ago, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, listen, I was a Jew of the Jew as far as keeping the law flawless. He's like, but now I consider it all the loss. For, 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 the, for the knowledge of who Christ is. It's garbage compared to grace. When I came to Christ, literally what he's saying, he's saying, I lost my religion. I lost my religion. So listen to this. You want to be free. You, you want to push back against that control that your heart desperately seeks. You need to lose your religion. It's as simple as that. You need to lose your religion. And for a lot of us, maybe your religion isn't spiritual in nature. Maybe your religion is that control you hold on to so rigidly. That plan that you have, that life that you envision, it's going to go my way or the highway. If you want to experience peace, it's time to let go. It's time to let go and it's time to let God. Listen, for some of us in that religious sense, that we've been trying to control God where if I just act a certain way, if I just do certain things, God will bend to my will. God will see me more holy. God will love me. God will answer me. Listen, today is the day you need to give up. You need to let go. You need to stop trying to control God. You can put away the performance. You can rest in grace. Now, Paul continues in Galatians 4. He says, um, have I become your enemy now by telling you the truth? Those people, those Jews, he says, they're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous. It's all right to have passion, provided the purpose is good. And so to be always so not just when I'm with you, my dear children, he says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now. And change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Like, I'm confused, guys. 
But what I want us to see is, again, this, there's always going to be this tension. There's always going to be something that is holding us back from experiencing who Jesus truly is. It's funny because I talk to so many people, and you would not believe how many people say things about God. It's a belief that they have, right? God requires me to do this, God X, Y, Z. And I'll ask them a simple question. I'll say, where did that come from? Where in the Bible have you ever read that before? And they're like, it's in there somewhere. (laughs) Someone, someone, Luke. It's in the Gospels. You see, what I'm trying to say is that for so many of us, we have opinions of who God is and a picture of who he is that is really given to us by someone else. And many times that picture is actually a prison that is holding you back from experiencing the grace and the goodness of who Jesus is. And so what Paul is trying to do in that moment, and literally the part I love, he says, my dear children, for whom I again, in the pains of childbirth, he uses like literally like, I'm the mother and the father here. Like, (laughs) this is my heart towards you. I wish I could change my tone. Now, I've said a couple times, like Paul is a little bit cheesed in this letter. Like he's got passion. But you need to understand that when you care and when you love about and love people, passion is natural. It's going to come out. You can't control it. It's not anger. Like sometimes, like my, my girls, I got twins. Like sometimes they bite each other. Um, and like my response is never like, stop that. Like when I see it, like I can't even help it. I'm like, stop. And like I raise my voice. Why? Because I perceive that they are doing something that's going to cause them damage. And that is what Paul is saying. That's where his passion comes from. But he's bringing it back. He's like, I want you to understand my passion. It does not come from anger. It comes from my heart towards you as a father. He planted this church. He started this church. I want you to see that the goodness that Jesus has, nothing comes close. Nothing comes close to grace. Nothing will give you what grace can give you. So we need to leave behind our religion. We need to leave behind those things, those perception, those prisons. And we need to give it all to Jesus. Because maybe you are not there yet, but I promise you this, that one day you will get to a point where you can no longer live in that place. And for too many people, the result is to leave Jesus. But what I argue is that you are not leaving Jesus, but only a picture of who you think Jesus is. Because the reality of who he is is better than anything that we could ever imagine. And so I want to give someone hope today that you feel like, man, like I've, I've been striving I've been trying to experience grace. Guess what? Super simple. One thing for you to do today. Just give up. Just give up. I know Tony Robbins won't like that, but just give up. (laughs) Just give up and say, Jesus, I'm done with my way. I want to go your way. I don't don't want to live with that religious spirit. I want to live with grace. Now, I want to share something. Um, that kind of seems unrelated, but I think it's all going to relate because uh, it's been speaking in my spirit lately. Um, so we're going to close today in the book of Revelation. I know, kind of weird, right? Um, but there's a story in Revelation that I think speaks so wholeheartedly to what I'm trying to say today. And I think it's going to give hope to us today. It's given, it's given hope to me. Um, <clears throat> this is Revelation chapter 5. Um, I don't know if Amy's here. We can kind of get on the keys here. But um, this is John who gets a vision. And this is what he says. He says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? Verse 3, it says, no one in heaven and earth or under the sea could open 
or even look inside. Now, I want us to understand this is a vision, so it's symbolic. And, and basically, the symbolism of the seals is that what's inside of the scroll is super important towards the end. Jesus' whole return, so on and so forth. But when I look at it for today, I want us to understand that the scroll is that the hope. That's what the scroll represents. It's hope. It's a future. And so John looks around and he sees this scroll, this idea of hope, this idea of future. And he says he looks around, but no one on heaven, no one in heaven, no one on earth was able to open the scroll or even look inside. So verse four, look at this. He says, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, maybe you're here today and this is where you feel you are in your spirit. You're at the very end because you look around at your life. It's like, man, there's no hope. There's no future. There's no way I can get out of this. My way isn't going the way I thought it would go. And maybe you're in the place of John where you weep and you weep. And it's like, man, I'm just hopeless. You're in a place of disappointment. You're in a place of hurt. You're in a prison. And it feels like there's no way out. But I love Revelation chapter five, verse five. It says, one of the elders looked to me and he says, John, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. He is able to break the seals. So do not cry, do not weep. There is someone who is worthy. Come on, somebody. So I wanna speak to someone today. You feel like you're in a dead place. You feel like you're at a dead end. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's left. Listen, super simple. Give up. Stop trying to be the one that is worthy. Stop trying to be the one that can open the scroll. There's only one. His name is Jesus. And thanks be to God that because of his death and resurrection, he is worthy. He has triumphed. He's the lion of Judah. He's the root of David. And because he's worthy, I'm worthy. Because he has opened the scroll, there's hope for me, there's hope for you. And so here's what I want us to understand. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the end of our need for control. It is the end of religion. Jesus has triumphed. Jesus has overcame. And guess what? He is worthy. Come on, church. He is worthy. And because he is worthy, you can be found worthy today. All you have to do, super simple, just give up. Just give up. Can we stand for a second, church? I just, I want to pray a prayer for someone today, and it's a prayer of surrender. And we're going to all pray it together as a church. But maybe there's someone today that's going to pray it together um, with us for the very first time. So with every single head bowed, every single eye closed, if there's someone here today, and you're just saying, Harrison, you know what? I'm, I'm done going my way. I want to go Jesus' way. I want to lose my religion. I want to break off those chains. If that's you today, in this space, with every head bowed, every eye closed, could you just show me your hand if that's you today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's pray this all together out loud. Just repeat after me. Just say, dear Jesus, you are worthy and I am not. Thank you. Jesus, today, I rest in that truth that you have triumphed. God, I give you my everything. I give you my wins and I give you my sins. Today, Lord, make me a new creation. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands for every person that prayed that prayer today. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care. Thank you.